Man, can we thank God for that wonderful worship we had this morning. I'm telling you. Woo! That gospel truth. I love that line in that song. That gospel truth. It shall not kneel and it shall not fail. I'm telling you. That is a good, good truth to know. I asked our keyboard player, I said, can you tell me your story? Because I'm one of the people that doesn't know all that story. And we're here today, we're talking about doubt this morning. Um, it's, it's a beginning of a new series called Christmas Conflict. We're going to be talking about doubt. And I thought, man, what an amazing story. This man has been out of the, off, off the stage since the middle of October. Is that right? And um, I just asked him, I said, would you tell us what happened? He said, I don't even know. I just know what people have told me. Woke up in the hospital. Today, he's on this stage playing for the glory of Almighty God. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, what more do we need to know, right? Um, God is good. And I am so thankful for his... Uh, his love and presence in our lives, thankful for what he's done in our lives. My name is Andy Stovall. For, some, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am the Congregational Life Pastor at The Bridge in Princeton. And Pastor Allen was away this weekend. Uh, he may be watching. Pastor Allen, if you're watching, we all said hey to you. We hope you're enjoying your time away with Misty. But uh, I'm honored to be able to be with you this morning. It's always an honor to be in Smithfield and just to see what God is doing uh, in this wonderful, wonderful place. So as we begin today, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. As we dig into the Word of God, you can uh, go to the app. Uh, uh, the, if you have the Bridge NC app, go to the Smithfield location and you'll be able to find all the notes there for our uh, sermon today. God, we just pray that you speak to our hearts today. Use me, God, for your glory. Lord, that I would get out of the way so that you can do in this time that we have together all that you desire to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we're in the Christmas season. Can you believe it? It's going to be January the 1st before we know it. Uh, but the Christmas story is full of a lot of things that are just beyond our imagination, right? Uh, it's filled with supernatural stories that demand our faith. Angels appearing, visions being had. God telling a girl who is a virgin, you're going to have a baby. You're going to get pregnant. But you are a physical virgin, but you're going to carry the Son of the living God. Now that in and of itself demands a tremendous amount of faith. God comes to this earth. There's a special star that leads the wise men to the birthplace of that, uh, that little boy being born. That God-man, that deity. Is it fact or is it fiction? You know, there's so many things that, that we hear in this world, but the thing that we can depend on, the, the truth that we can stand on, is that God's Word does not fail. It does not move, and Jesus does not lie. But if you're here today, or you're watching today, and you don't believe it, should you say you believe it just to make other people happy? Should you uh, have a doubt about it and hide that? Is it wrong if you have doubts? If you 
want to believe it but are uncertain, how do you increase your faith? How do we know? That was one of the reasons I I wanted to tell just a little bit of that story, brother, because when we see God move in the nasty now and now, it gives us kind of the gumption to go out and say, you know what, if he did it then, guess what we know? He'll do it again. I'm a poet and didn't know it, okay? If he did it then, he'll do it again. So the story that I want us to look at today is in Luke chapter 1. It's a supernatural event that took place before the unfolding of the Christmas story. Um, An angel appeared to an old man named Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. The angel appears to Zechariah telling him that he and his wife are going to have a son who will be called John the Baptist. And he'll be the forerunner of Jesus. So here's our goal today. That our faith in the Christmas story will be deepened. And that we will know what to do when doubt sets in. Anybody ever doubted anything? You ever had doubts? You ever wondered? You ever got in the middle of something and wondered, uh, is this, you know, the, the real deal? Is this really going to happen? Um, well, we've all had doubts. If we're honest, we've all battled with that. Well, I'm just thankful to know that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, had doubts too. You know, Uh, let's go ahead and get into the word. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod of, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So they were upright in God's sight. He was an experienced, conscientious priest. He obeyed all of the Lord's commandments, and he and his wife had a good reputation in their community. But verse 7 tells us this. You go to verse 7 of Luke 1, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Even though they were obviously disappointed that their prayers weren't answered, they continued to serve God. They continued to believe God. They continued continued to honor God. And that's a great lesson for us too, right? Even though things don't quite work out exactly the way we thought they would here on this earth. How many of you are sitting here today and can say, you know what? As I, as I sit in the seat I'm sitting in right now, there are things in my life that hadn't quite worked out exactly the way I thought they would. When I looked 20 years ago at the future and what that might be, it looks a little different. Some things are better. Some things, not so much, Right? But what do we keep doing? We keep going, right? We keep getting up every day and we keep doing what God has called us to do. And that's what Zechariah did. And uh, one day, he, a faithful priest and servant of God, uh, in the temple was chosen to burn the incense in the most holy place and his faith was about to be challenged. So let's look in Luke chapter 1 verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I want you to understand the setting here. This is a huge deal, okay? 
This is a like once in a lifetime opportunity. It would be like myself or Pastor Allen being called by the President of the United States to pray at the inauguration. Actually, it's even a bigger deal than that because they went to the, to the holy place to burn incense before God Almighty. A big deal. So all family and friends, they're outside and they're like, yes, do this. Maybe some of them saying, don't mess this up, Zechariah. You know, I don't know what they were doing, but they were all out there and they were cheering for him. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. All right, so here he is in the holy place. He's, he's at the altar of incense. He's by himself. The doors are shut. No one else is in there. No doors have opened, and what just happens? Somebody appears right beside him. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were in a room all by yourself, and you were praying before God, and all of a sudden you look to your right, and somebody's standing there, what would you do? Oh, you know, <laughs> somebody's there. And why are they there? Why is this, uh, this person standing there? I would be scared. I would be terrified. I, you know, I want to say I'd go all rocky on him, but I'd probably run the other way. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name. Now, this is very important. Remember this. Right here, this verse that I'm reading. You are to give him the name, what? Are y'all looking at it with me? John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Even from birth. And the angel goes on to tell him great things that his son will do. And then in verse 18... Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know what you say is true? I'm an old man, and my wife is old. Does this remind you of another story we've heard before? Of who? Abraham, Sarah, being promised a son Isaac. It's so, so similar. So here we are. we got a respected servant of God doubting the words of an angel, which leads us to our first principle today, and that is this. Doubt is normal even among godly people. Don't beat yourself up when you question. Don't beat yourself up when you doubt. We're going to talk about what to do with it today, but the fact is um, we doubt. Some people find it very easy. They, they have read scripture their whole life. They read about the supernatural and they believe it. And then some of us that are sitting in the room read it and we go, hmm, uh, I had that, you know, in anything that has to do with uh, when it comes to God's economy, when it comes to everything, we, we just have a tougher time uh, with, with, with believing that. For whatever reason, it's just tougher. And when... Uh, events seem so far, far beyond the normal experience, we struggle with believing it. One of my favorite stories, or a, or a cool story, it's actually not one of my favorite, it's one that I, I have read, though, about this little boy who went to kids' church, and his dad picked him up from, from Bridge Kids. And uh, he didn't, but he <laughs> will just go with that. And he asked him, he said, Son, what would you learn today in your Bible story? 
Y'all ever do that when you pick your kids up from Bridge Kids and say, what'd you, what'd you learn today? And he, uh, he said, well, uh, Moses took the slaves out of Egypt, but the Egyptian army came after them. They got trapped at the Red Sea. So Moses, not knowing what to do, had his engineers build a floating bridge with giant pontoons. And they walked across the Red Sea to the other side. The next morning, when they looked back, the Egyptian army was coming after them. They were coming across the bridge. So again, not certain what to do, Moses radioed for an airstrike. They dropped bombs on the bridge, blew it up, and all of the Egyptian army drowned. And his daddy looked at him, and he said, Son, is that really what your teacher told you in Bridge Kids? He said, No, Daddy, but if I told you what she really said, you wouldn't believe me. (laughs) (laughs) We struggle with doubt. We struggle with the supernatural sometimes. And even at a young age, Zechariah A godly priest, and even in his older age, had doubts. John the Baptist doubted Jesus. John the Baptist, the promised son of Zechariah, was the first to say publicly, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? He says that, and months later, John is arrested. He's thrown in prison. And what does he write to Jesus? In Matthew eleven three, Are you really the Messiah or should we look for another? Now what did Jesus do? Did he come over and drop a holy elbow up on the top of his head and say, What is wrong with you? No, he didn't. He knew that in his humanity and when the pressure got put on, We all have the proclivity as human beings to doubt. I love what Jesus said about John the Baptist. In Luke 7, 28, I tell you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. (laughs) Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I'm glad to know that Jesus thought that of John. Because it gives me hope. And I hope it gives you hope as well. John experienced doubt because he was hurting. And when life seems to be falling apart for you, that's when for many of us, temptation to doubt God's promises slips in. When you fail to get that promotion you work so hard for. When you get the report from the doctor that they've done all they can do. When prayers for your mate to come to Christ... Uh, seem to fall on deaf ears and they are not getting closer but further away. When your kids are in deep trouble, when you tithe but you still have financial troubles, when you live a pure life committed to your marriage only to learn that your spouse is cheating. And the list goes on and on. When the pressure of life comes in, the temptation to doubt escalates. It's common For us to question in moments of crisis. Even great people like John the Baptist do. So I'm glad to know we're in good company. The other thing I want you to know about doubt. The principle number two is that doubt 
can be beneficial if it motivates investigation. There are times we ought to doubt. Let me explain what I mean there. Anybody got teenagers living in your house? I do. I got one sitting right back there, my son Hunter. Hey, buddy. He came to, he came to Smithfield today to hear his daddy preach. Thank you, buddy. That's all I want for Christmas. You're off the, you're off the hook. <laughs> he will hold me to that. Remember, remember when you said in front of 100 plus people that I didn't have to get you anything? <laughs> I remember when I was a teenage boy and my brother got a, my dad had bought him a Galaxy 500 made by Ford Motor Company. I don't know how many of you know what a Galaxy 500 is, but probably one of the ugliest cars ever manufactured and put into you know, on the streets. But the thing was a tank. I mean, you could drive through a house with that car and it would fly. Why he put my brother behind the wheel of that thing, I'll never know, but my dad did. And my brother, one day, we, were, we lived way out in the country and there was a series of miles and miles of dirt road. Oh boy. I'm almost going to start singing the Dukes of Hazard theme song. <laughs> well, Dukes of Hazard was on TV back then, and we decided we'd be Bo and Luke Duke. And we're going around. Uh, all these kids are going, what is he talking about? <laughs> Who is Bo and Luke Duke? Well, we're going, we're going around this S-curve in the Galaxy 500, doing about 45, 50 miles an hour, and we're just slinging a drag. So we're... We're drifting. Tokyo Drift. Does that make sense to y'all now? Y'all with me? We're, we're drifting. We're drifting. But my brother's 17 years old. And about halfway into this thing, we realize he don't know how to do that. <laughs> the first two drifts were awesome. And then we are looking at this wall of dirt that is in front of us. And we hit the bank. That's, that's going around the curve in that, on that dirt road. I mean head on. And stop where we are. Well, my younger brother was in the front seat. And he flies up, hits the windshield, breaks it with his head. There's a dent about the size of a baseball on the front quarter panel of that car. And that's all it did to that car. But it walloped my son, or my, my brother, in, in his head. So we get home, and on the way home, my, my oldest brother is devising his plan. All right, guys, this is what happened. <laughs> We're behind a tractor trailer, and it threw a rock up. That rock hit the windshield and busted it. My brother's head, we don't know. Maybe a bully attacked you. I don't know. <laughs> But the windshield got busted by a rock. So we go home and we start telling this story. Well, actually, my brother and I didn't because we were really a lot worse at lying than my older brother was. He really wasn't that good at it because we didn't get away with it very long. But he tells this story. He's all this stuff that this truck has done. Well, what kind of truck was it? And my brother told him, well, what was the number on the truck? I don't know, Dad. I didn't, what time of day? Well, I'm not sure. Everything's a fog because the rock kind of, you know, messed up my memory and stuff. I don't know. So we get away from the kitchen table, and you know the first thing my mom and dad did? They began to doubt. 
every single minutia of that story because it was the worst lie ever told in the history of teenage boys wrecking a car, okay? The next morning we get up. It's the summertime. I'm riddled with guilt. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do it. I know snitches get stitches, but I got to tell this story. So I pull my mom aside. I say, I can't take it anymore. All of it's a lie. She said, we know. (laughs) We didn't know what the truth was, but we knew what you told us last night had nothing to do with it, okay? So it all came out. They were wise to doubt. It was beneficial for my mom and dad to doubt, right? Um, because it brings us to a place where we discern. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Jesus understood the value of this, and, and he even taught his followers, um, you know, to, to question things, not to be vulnerable to deception. He talks about it in Matthew 24 when he's talking about the second coming. He says, if anyone tells you, uh, there he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or, he is, uh, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It ain't going to be hidden. You trust what you know. You trust what you read. There there are two kinds of doubt. There's convenient doubt, and then there's conscientious doubt that is is spirit-led. Convenient doubt uses skepticism to justify behavior, oftentimes immorality in our life. I just, I, I, I don't, you know, you're telling me that this is true. You're telling me that this is right, and I'm... You know, I, I, I don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. And oftentimes that leads us into sinful behavior. Honest doubt questions and investigates in order to reach a, a reasonable conclusion. In order to, to get us to a place where God can speak to our heart and say, this, this is truth. Um, what we sang today was one of those things that, that, that led us to truth. We sang the truth about who God is and what he desires for our life. And if you walked in here with any doubt, my prayer is that even during praise and worship, long before this old country boy got up here to say a few words to you, God had already dealt with doubt in your life because his word is true. And we affirm that today in our time of worship together. See, when John sent that messenger to ask Jesus if he needed to wait on another, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, John, I declare, I don't know what we're going to do with you. He said, go tell John that the blind see. Go tell him that the lame walk and the deaf can hear and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And when John examines that evidence and sees that those prophecies in the Old Testament are being lived out right now, he'll believe. He'll trust. He just had that moment. Remember when Thomas did the same thing? We give him such a hard time. We are just like him. Let me see. Let me put my hand 
on those scars so that I will believe. Lee Strobel, an atheist, he was a skeptical reporter with the Chicago Tribune and he ridiculed believers for being naive and actually set out to disprove Christianity. Wrote a book called The Case for Christ. What happened in his investigation? He became a believer. <laughs> he came to Jesus trying to disprove that thing. So doubt can be beneficial. Number three, doubt can be detrimental if it disregards the evidence and is indecisive. Zechariah learned this principle the hard way. The angel comes to him. The angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. He says, I'm old. My wife's old. Sorry, honey. But that's the way it is. We can't do this. You sure you're talking to the right guy? What happens next? Luke chapter 1 verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words. Which will come true at the proper time. He doubted God. And what happened? Couldn't talk anymore. Might have been the best nine months of Elizabeth's life. I don't know. <laughs> but she didn't have to hear the naysaying anymore. The angel appeared. And then his mouth was closed. He could not speak anymore. And, um, and then they waited. And they waited. Uh, the angel appears and, and tells you something. No matter how far-fetched it is, you need to believe it. But Zechariah's doubt took over, and he would not believe. And when he came out of that place, and they asked him what had happened, he couldn't talk. And they said, well, he definitely has had an experience with God. Prolonged indecisive doubt is a huge disability for us. Doubt sours our personality. It opens the door for temptation. I mean, we look at that when we, we talked about Abraham just a moment ago. Abraham and Sarah, they were told they were going to have a baby. And what happened? I, I tell people all the time, don't get in God's way. Stay out of his way. And you're like, what does that mean? Look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and what happened there. What happened there? They got antsy, didn't they? Mm, I know what you promised me, God, but we're going to help you. So I'm going to go lay with our maidservant here, and I'm going to have a son that way, and I'm going to tell Sarah, we're going to kind of talk about it, and we're going to sort of be in agreement with it, and lo and behold, hmm, my wife really wasn't as good with it as I thought she'd be. Duh! <laughs> Father Abraham had a had a really weird moment right there, right? And because of that sin, because of that doubt, it set up turmoil for his family that is the basis for what's going on in the Middle East today. It's a large part of it. You see, when you doubt, it's much easier to rationalize sin. It diminishes our prayer life. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 21, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. 
when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, Lord, if it is really you, invite me to walk onto the water too. And what did Jesus say? He said, come on. And because of his faith, albeit for just a few seconds, he was able to walk on the water. But then he started doubting, right? He got out on that water and said, what am I doing? I can't do this. And he was right. He couldn't do it in his own power. But through Christ, he could. When Jesus pulled him up out of that water after he began to sink, the only thing he said, the first thing he said to him was what? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt? You asked if you could come. I said yes. And yet you still didn't believe. James 1, 6, when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown up and down by the wind. Such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time and cannot decide about anything that they do. They should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. When we doubt, it can be detrimental. And then lastly, and probably the most important principle that we'll learn today is doubt is conquerable and should be overcome. Now, it's overcome not in our own strength. We don't overcome it in our own power, but we overcome it through Christ and through his word. Zechariah's doubts were soon eliminated because the evidence was too overwhelming. He couldn't speak no matter how hard he tried. The angel would not allow him to do that. His wife became pregnant. The angel said when it came, or rather uh, in verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Verse 58, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Obviously great news. Everybody's excited. One thing was still going on. What was that? Zechariah? Still couldn't talk. Still couldn't talk. So, in verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, what? No, he is to be called John. Remember way back, those verses we read earlier? The angel said, you're to call him John. This is your promised son. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Isn't it amazing? We go through all the stuff we go through to name a child. And there's always somebody in the family saying, Hi, you sure you want to name that baby that? God said to do it. Yeah, but I don't know. Is that really, is that the best name? Come on. I love this next verse of scripture because I, I, I just allowed my mind to, to sort of... Turn on this movie in my head, just seeing the image of Zechariah as he's listening to all of this. Some people say, uh, some commentators say they, that he might have been mute because he was, make, he was motioning to his family and, 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 you know, doing all. I don't think he was doing charades. I think he was saying, give me that tablet because I done learned from the first time. Not to question what God has said to do. So this is what he said. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Give me that right now. <laughs> and he said to everyone's astonishment. I bet he wrote it in all caps, block, letter. His name is John. Period. Quit arguing. Quit fussing. I mean, if you were texting that, you'd be yelling at somebody, right? So he's writing that on his tablet. His name is John. 
And the Bible says immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising God because he obeyed, because he trusted. He doubted the first time and his mouth was shut for nine months. The moment he stepped out in faith and said, God, I'm going to trust you, God loosed his tongue and he was able to speak again. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it and asked, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. See, the cool thing, one of the neat things about this story that we, we kind of went over the middle of this story, and that is when Elizabeth and Mary meet. See, John and Jesus are first cousins. And they meet, and it says when Mary greeted Elizabeth after Elizabeth was pregnant, and then uh, uh, Mary had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, had been promised Jesus, the Messiah. It says the baby leapt, that John leapt. And that Mary and that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember what the promise was in God's Word? That he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. It was in that moment that he was filled. Such an amazing, amazing thing. And there are some very important points that I want to, to point out here in, in, in closing. There's two essential steps in conquering doubt. One is to examine the evidence. Examine the evidence. How do we conquer doubt? The first thing we do is we get in the book. Get in His Word. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. We get in His Word. It's fine to read books about the Bible. It's fine to read commentaries about the Bible. They're valuable, but you know where the power is? It's in the book. It's in the Word. It is the only book. Your Bible is the only book with a heartbeat. It is the Word of the living God given to you. And it has power for all who believe. It says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. So the first thing is examine the evidence. Secondly, decide to obey God's word. Zechariah obeyed his command, and when he did, he was able to speak. I love a story, and you'll read it in, on your own time. We don't have time today to read this account as well. But in Mark 9, a man brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And he would thrash and have like seizures and the demon the Bible says would even throw him at times into fire and he pleaded with Jesus and said if there is anything you can do please have pity on us and help us and Jesus says read it in your Bible Jesus said if I can all things are possible to those who believe you know what that man answered he said Lord I believe 
help my unbelief. You know what that tells me? That faith and doubt can be present at the same time. I believe you, God, but I got unbelief here. Help me work that out. And God will help you work that out. There's nothing impossible for God. The man sitting on this stage behind us is proof of that. Nothing is impossible for him. There's a story of a, of a man who had a little boy. It's a little toddler. And they would put him up on a table and, and get him to run across the table. And daddy would stand at the, at the end of the table and he'd say, Come to me, son. And that little toddler would run and he would jump off that table. Not a fear in the world. Not a doubt in his mind that my daddy was going to catch me. And one night, they had done that over and over and over again. I'm sure mom was thrilled about the toddler running on the table. Way to go, dad. You get to go to work. Now I got to get the kid off the table all the time, right? Daddy lets me do it. <laughs> well, they have company over one night. They bring the lights down real low. Not completely dark, but almost this little toddler is so used to being on that table and running, he knows every step that he's going to be able to take. They bring those lights down real low, and Daddy's standing at the end of the table, and they say, come on, son. They can barely see him, and he's running, and he's giggling. He gets to the end of that table, and he jumps into Daddy's arms. Daddy catches him. And they're all like, wow, that kid really does trust you. What our Heavenly Father wants us to understand today is that faith is going to the edge of all the light that you have and then taking one more step. Trust Him. Even when you can't see. Even when you don't know what's around that next bend. Knowing that He knows and if he's called you to that, and he's told you to go to that place, to do that thing, you can trust him that he will be faithful. Not only to give you what you need to make that journey, to take that next step, but he'll be right there with you every step of the way. I don't know about you, but I've been Zechariah before. Now, much to my wife's chagrin, I have not been struck with the inability to speak for nine months. <laughs> but I've doubted. I've questioned. But I've also trusted. And I found a loving God who said, listen, I'm going to be here for you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm not going to despise you because you're human. We doubt because we're human. He loves us because He created us in His image. He sent His Son to die on a cross for yours and my sin. And what He wants from us today is to trust Him. A man told me one day, many, many years ago, first starting out in ministry, a little, little fella could make a joyful noise unto the Lord with a saxophone, and that was about as good as it got. He loved the Lord and served God and honored Him in a very quiet, humble way. But He gave me a little um, 
I'm going to take you way back. Mimeograph copy of a hymn titled Trust and Obey. And he handed that to me one day, Kevin, and he said, Andy, this 23 and a half year old kid, I counted half years when I was that age. I wanted everybody to know I'm moving on up to 24. He said, if you'll do this, you'll be all right. You'll have, a, you'll have a ministry that will honor God. And at the end of this journey that God's given you in this life, you'll be able to look back in awe and see all the amazing things that he's done in and through your life. Do this. I still have it. I still have it in my desk at the office and every now and then I pull it out and I just look that man's gone home to be with the Lord and he probably doesn't even remember giving that to me but I'll never forgive him when doubt starts creeping in to your life when doubt starts creeping in to your den for those of you that are watching at home Remember to trust and obey Him. Examine the evidence, but when the evidence of God's Word points you even in a direction you don't want to go, trust and obey Him. Because that's the deal with the Word. See, we try to make the Word fit our life. So we pick and choose and skip and dip. We've got to take the full counsel of God's Word, apply it to our lives. And anything in me that doesn't match that, guess what has to happen? It's got to be altered or completely thrown out. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, as we gather here today and we talk about this issue of doubt, there may be some that are here this morning that have doubted to the degree that they've never received you into their heart and into their life. They've questioned you. They've blamed you. Accused you. Not loving them. But today, God, they see the truth. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. They've examined the evidence and they've looked with an open heart and today they say, yes, God, I'm going to trust You. I'm going to obey You. I've given my entire life to moments like this to moments of decision where one more would possibly say yes I'm going to trust today maybe you're like that man with that son who says God I believe but help my unbelief
Would you step out? Would you trust him enough to step into that place that you can't see, but you know he's there and you know he's called you to that place? He says, come. Come, follow me. Come, those who are weary and weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Would you come today? Would you trust him today? Would you say yes to Jesus today? Say, yes, God, I will follow you. And in those areas where we doubt, where doubt has been a struggle for many, many years, whether it's a marriage relationship, a job situation, a relationship with family, and you just look at it and say, well, it's just never going to be any different. I know God wants to heal. I know God wants every relationship restored. That he doesn't want me to have aught with this brother or sister. But that's just the way it is. That we would step out by faith. And trust you. To do what we can't. And to bring healing. Where you only can. This Christmas season, Lord, I pray. That you give us the greatest gift of all gift of your son trusting and following him with our whole heart God help us receive that word today and with every head bowed and every eye closed if that's you today maybe you need to come to him you've been doubting him and you need to you know it's time to follow him or maybe there's just an area in your life where you've doubted for years and you say, God, today is the day I'm going to get my tablet out and I'm going to write Jesus because He's the only way. He is the truth and He is the life. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you are, whether you're online or whether you're here in the worship auditorium, right where you are, would you say, today I'm going to trust Today I'm going to obey. Today I'm going to stop doubting. God, I pray that would be our heart this Christmas season. Lord, be with these wonderful folks that are here today. Bless them, keep them. Through the remainder of this December, God, I pray that we would let our light shine for you. Following you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray.